0: Listening to the Crop Disease Podcast, a podcast that will keep you up to date on how to manage common crop diseases faced by Australian growers. Oh, the sound of harvest! It's upon us again. But as you dust off the big machine, have you thought about how you'll manage your stubble this season? The reason I ask is because many crop diseases are stubble-borne. This means they live on the stubble during the dry, hot summer and wait for a few droplets of rain to come to life again and attack your crop. So if you're thinking about stubble management, then in this episode, we've got you covered. Hello, it's Megan Jones from the Centre for Crop and Disease Management, and I'm your host for the Crop Disease Podcast. We're going to talk to three experts on this topic, research coordinator Cassandra Shea from Riverine Plains Farming Group. We're also going to talk to a well-known WA consultant, Garen Nell from Consultag. And last but not least, a farming systems economist who is also co-hosting with me today, Amir Abadi from the CCDM. Welcome to the show, Amir.
1: Thank you for having me, Megan. I'm pleased to be here.
0: Yeah, well, it's good to have you here, Amir. Thanks again for coming on. We are talking about stubble management for this episode and it. We are getting into harvest. Can you tell us, would stubble management be an important consideration for growers coming into harvest this season, do you think?
1: Uh, Yeah, this season has been a bit of a mixed bag. I think, um, you know, it started late and then um, we had this um, dry spring. September was a bit dry. So stubble loads are not going to be very heavy. um, And unless people are in high rainfall, medium rainfall zone and lucky to have received enough rain to get a decent uh, crop stubble loads are going to be pretty light so for those farmers who are in the low rainfall zone or have had uh, low yielding crops I don't think the stubble loads are going to be a big issue and and we also haven't had the wet spring that would uh, engender or foster disease development and so the hope is that uh, these stubbles aren't going to have a lot of disease on them to go into next season.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that sounds good, Amir. Um, well, earlier this week, I spoke to Cassandra Shay from Riverine Plains, which is a farming group spanning across southern New South Wales and northern Victoria. Um, Cassandra is a research coordinator there. Have you met her before?
1: Yes, I've been lucky to meet Cassandra. Um, I met her when I was in the Riverine Plains in 2016.
0: Well, yeah, you would have been in the middle of it all. Um, this project that she's a, she talked to me about, actually. Yeah, she yeah. took
1: me to the um, experiments that they were running and explained some them for me. So.
0: Oh, brilliant. Yeah. So, um, yeah, well, I spoke to her about that project and which looked at stubble management and included the impact of disease. Would you like to listen to what we spoke about?
1: Yes, absolutely. Thanks.
0: Okay, let's listen. Hello, Cassandra speaking. Oh, hi, Cassandra. This is Megan Jones from the CCDM. How are you? I'm good, Megan. How are you going? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for your time today. No worries at all. So I guess um, we are talking about stubble management in this podcast, but before we start all that, can you just tell us a bit about yourself, um, a bit about what you do at the Riverine Plains and how you got there?
2: Sure. So my role at Riverine Plains is as the research coordinator. So I manage all the research on the ground and also work with uh, funders and other stakeholders to bring research to the region. So a big part of the Riverine Plains farming group is connecting into more national and uh, uh, industry research that's happening in other regions to make sure that things that come into the region are appropriate.
0: Oh, very good. And how long have you been with the River and Plains now? I've been with River and Plains
2: for a bit over five years now. Mm -hmm. So really enjoying getting my boots dirty and spending a lot of time talking to farmers.
0: Yeah, brilliant. So good. So how is it looking over your way at the moment? Is it looking okay? Look, it's looking okay. It's amazing how everything's just
2: hanging on. Um, We haven't had much rain at all through the season, but we had enough through winter to to get things up and going. And now we're looking at reasonable biomass crops. But we'll get some yield. Um, But more importantly, we've grown a lot of biomass, which means that we've got options as far as uh, cutting for hay or taking through the grain. And certainly compared to a lot of other regions, we've been very lucky.
0: Oh, that is good to hear. Um, So I heard about this stubble management project you've been working on. Can you tell us a bit about that? As I understand it, it's been quite a long-term trial. Is that right?
2: Yeah. So the project went over five years, which is considered quite a long-term project in in these days. The the whole idea of it wasn't to say is stubble management good or stubble management bad or you know, we must retain stubble. The aim of it was to say, how can we look at our stubble systems in in, in light of current agronomy? Because a lot of the work that was done on retaining stubble was done, um, you know, 20 years ago when, when no-till and that first came in. So really important to have a bit of a check-in to see how we're doing things and if we can improve, but also to look at the system as a whole. So we're not saying you must do this or you must do that, but saying... Let's have a look at the options that you've got and if you wish to retain stubble, how can you make that most effective?
0: And what did you find with this research over the past five years?
2: So the the concept of this project, which differs a bit from previous work, is that it wasn't a long-term experiment in the same place where we're going through a rotation of crops. What we did was we chose uh, wheat stubble And we imposed all our stubble treatments onto that. So we burnt, we cultivated, we mulched, we cut the stubble short, we cut it high. We we looked at it, we might have baled it for straw. And then the farmer came in and sowed his crop over the top. So we had a fully replicated large-scale trial that we could assess the impact of these different treatments. And the really important thing is that there was very few differences in yield, between any of the treatments that we applied. So that's actually really cool, because what that means is that we can look at stubble management as a tool within our larger agronomy system, and we're going to use stubble management to manage things like incorporation of lime. We're going to use it to manage weeds, and we're going to use it to manage any disease risks and concerning moisture.
0: Yeah, well that's so interesting. And have you looked at stubble management and how it can affect disease levels? What did you find in that regard? Yeah, so we did do some
2: work on that, uh, specifically looking at yellow leaf spot. And um, that was something that came through in our wheat because we were generally sowing wheat on wheat. So our second wheat had a higher um, susceptibility to disease. So we did find in some of our crops that we got higher scores of yellow leaf spot in our stub retained systems compared to our burnt. But we weren't talking really high pathology. So it was never a, a make or break um, and then yellow leaf spot was never like the key determinant of their yield potential. And then as the, as the um, project went on, we tended to select varieties that were more resistant to yellow leaf spot. All right.
0: So it was never a big deal. Well, one last question for you, Cassandra. Overall, uh, well, we are heading into harvest right now. So what are some key messages you are giving grain growers who are looking for stubble management advice?
2: Key messages we've got is that stubble retention or burning, or cultivation, is not a key driver of yield in our region, and so the, the chance of being penalised um, based on what decision you make is very low across a range of female conditions. So I'd say be very strategic around your stubble management. So retain it where you can, get the benefits of that where you can, and if you need to remove it for some reason. Using that time to incorporate lime and get rid of the stubble that way would be perfect. Um, But just think of it as another tool you've got. One time of of incorporation within a a rotation that's otherwise stubble retained isn't going to have a, a big impact on your system.
0: Yep. Yep. Sounds very good to me. Great. Well, thanks so much, Cassandra. We'll we'll wrap up the podcast interview here. And um, yeah, so thanks so very much and all the best for the rest of the season. And yeah, hopefully I'll talk to you soon. All right. Well, thanks very much for that, Megan. I'll catch you later. Sounds good. See you then. Okay. Bye. 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 Interesting research, isn't it, Amir? particularly how there were mostly no yield differences amongst the different stubble management techniques. It's great how this gives the grow options going into harvest, don't you think?
1: Yes, it's nice to have that flexibility, absolutely. Um, and it, it really highlights also things that might work in riverine plains. Cassandra mentioned that they're not always the same in places like Western Australia because of their The soil conditions they've got because of the rainfall distribution they have, the rotations they practice for their land, uh, the kind of uh, stubble load that they have uh, because of um, just high yields. And that leaves a significant amount of stubble behind. And I was um, just staggered when I was driving around that um, they remove the stubble and uh, bale them mm-hmm. after harvest and they, they literally have uh, in places it looks like mountains of the stuff on paddocks mm-hmm. and then they set fire to what remains as well which means they still have a lot of this <laughs> stuff around and uh and it was interesting that maybe some of those operations don't need to be done um uh, in in riverine plains if they're avoidable and they don't contribute much to protection against disease or frost management or managing the um, soil moisture content uh, entering into the next season. So it's nice for them to have that opportunity um, and that flexibility. Yeah. But uh, for us, um, of course, we know that we have to leave a tonne and a half or so um, of stubble behind in order to avoid... Um, erosion, wind erosion in particular and um, yeah, so it's very seasonally specific and very regionally specific what you do with stubble I think
0: Mm, yes, for sure. And it's also interesting how disease was never a problem during this trial. However, she suggested that if a grower wanted to remove their stubble for any reason such as disease, a one-off removal isn't going to have a big impact in a stubble retained system. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, if I think in, in seasons when you've got a lot of stubble, then that's not going to make a big difference to the organic content of the soil or um, or things like that. It's, uh, it's just one-off strategic stuff or tactical stuff, let's say, um, if you're just doing it once in a blue moon,
0: mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, actually, next up, we are going to hear from a well known WA consultant, Garen Nell. He is a consultant from Consultag based in Narrogin, which is roughly 200 kilometres south of Perth. We spoke about his trial that he worked on with DPERD that looks at tactical management of barley disease spot form net blotch in the mid rainfall zone in WA. He also speaks about his research in a recent GRDC podcast, which was interesting stuff. Are you ready to listen to it?
1: Yes, please.
0: Okay, let's listen.
3: Uh, Garen Nell, Consolid Agnarogen.
0: Oh, hello, Garen. This is Megan Jones from the Centre for Crop and Disease Management. How are you? Oh, great. Thanks, Megan. Very good. Oh, that's good. Um, thank you for coming on the show today. I hope you're well.
3: Yeah, very good. Yeah, no, very happy to chat.
0: Oh, great. Um, so just starting off, I'd just like to know, how did you come to be a consultant with Consult Ag? So tell me a bit about your background.
3: Um, yeah, when I graduated, I took on a role in land care with the Department of Ag um, and did that for two years and then changed into an agronomy role in Lake Growth. So I did one year agronomy after two years of land care um, and then got offered a position uh, with Consult Ag and I'm now a, a director in Consult Ag. Very good. And
0: where are you based at the
3: minute? Uh, we're, we're based in Narragane.
0: And um, how are your clients going with the season this year? Do you reckon they'll be expecting an above or below average year this harvest?
3: Yeah, unfortunately we're one rain short of a very good year. Okay. So um, we had, had a late break, um, reasonable winter rain, um, but probably one of the driest September's on record. Mm. So the crops actually... After a late start, we're a bit nervous, but looked pretty good come end of August. But we just needed another, you know, 15 to 20 mil in September, and we actually would have had an average above average year with solid pricing. But, um, people are a bit nervous now whether we're going to have any grain quality issues, um, and, and how the yield's going to come in because the crops have been living on stored soil moisture now for a month, and, uh, the weather's warming up and they're hanging on and filling grains, but, um, it's just going to be a bit nervous as to what the quality is going to be like and obviously the yields will be, be down a bit. So, On the plus side, it's made uh, disease management much easier with the dry spring. Uh, we haven't had to spend as much money on fungicide as we would have other years, but um, but we'd much rather have the rain and manage the disease.
0: Yeah, that is always a plus side, isn't it, with disease, isn't it? So a bad year yes, means yeah, not right. so much disease to manage. So speaking of diseases, I actually heard you've done a bit of work uh, that was funded by GRDC around the spot form net blotch disease um, working with DPERD. Can you, can you tell us a bit about this research?
3: Yeah, my, myself and Trent Butcher in the Narogen office, there's um, kind of a real, been a real gap in data. Um, a lot of the barley disease work is done in the high rainfall area where it's easy to get economic responses, the disease pressure's higher. And, and the crops usually get that last rain of the year, so it's really easy to tease out yield differences and economic responses. When you're in the medium rainfall zone, making agronomy decisions about managing disease can be quite tricky because one year you might be expecting a three-ton plus year, uh, yield. The next year, it might be uh, low two-ton or, or even sub-two-ton yields from season to season because of that variability. And because of that, a lot of the commercial research isn't done in those areas, but When you're trying to advise growers on the best strategy, we really need some data to say in what year or under what situations do we spend more and use the premium products to maximise yield potential and in what situations do we um, cut back and maybe go with the cheaper options and uh, look to conserve our inputs. So we've been targeting that medium rainfall zone because it is trickier and growers need to be more tactical in the way they manage disease.
0: And what have you found so far in the medium rainfall zone?
3: Uh, a lot of our work we focus on the rotation of barley on barley um, through through that area. Around thirty to forty percent of the barley crop is actually planted consecutively barley on barley, um, and that that rotation has been very profitable for growers. And we're doing that rotation. We know it's not ideal, but often on parts of the landscape that aren't suitable for other rotations. So there may be low-lying frosty paddocks or paddocks that get too wet for pulse crops or too frosty for canola crops. So we tend to be growing more and more barley on barley on that soil type that's less suited or got less um, other rotational options.
0: So as farmers are now thinking about harvest and stubble management, can you tell us what you found in regards to burning stubble and disease levels the following year?
3: Yeah, we've had a number of trials looking at uh, removing stubble and plus and minus stubble. Um, what we tend to find is when the stubble is retained and you have a wet start to the season, so you get a crop up and away, and then and then a number of rain events in the early stages of the crop's life, the disease really builds up quickly where the stubble's retained. So the asca spores, the spores from the spot-type net blotch, effectively splash straight from the stubble onto the emerging seedling, and the disease pressure can be high right from the start. Where we've burnt the stubble, we tend to find that disease build-up is much slower. So if we remove stubble, the crop has nowhere near that early infection. And uh, while the disease is still there, it doesn't give a, a full control, um, the incidence or the pressure is much lower. So it gives growers more time if the stubbles removed to manage um, the disease and often coincide that fungicide with another, with another application of, of a, an alternative p- pesticide. So um, regularly that yield difference uh flowed through to around half a tonne, um, four to five hundred kilos of extra yield with the stubble removed. And often that isn't all entirely related to disease. So where we had multiple sprays, we couldn't buy back that yield. So there's something going on with barley on barley, whether it's an allopathic effect or not. But burning stubble um, regularly increases yield. And if it's a wet start of the year, it can um, drop your disease pressure.
0: That's a good finding. Um, You talk about yields, but does this research also take into profitability of that management as well?
3: Yes, it does, Yeah, So, yeah, removing stubble is actually a very cheap strategy. Of course, growers need to um, weigh up the risk. We we know that we we don't want to encourage or make the whole landscape vulnerable to erosion, but often these soil types where we're growing barley on barley are lower in the landscape and and less vulnerable to wind erosion events. So we've got to be careful not to apply this strategy in, in the wrong part of the landscape or in the wrong part of the state where we're doing the, the stubble burning. It's our soil types that are pretty solid and not vulnerable to blowing away. So um, growers are more confident in doing that, but you wouldn't want to do the whole landscape in that, in that sort of strategy.
0: Yeah. So what advice will you give growers when it comes to stubble management of barley? Um, does this advice differ between rainfall zones as
3: well? Yeah, well, in the low rainfall zones, often retaining stubble is, is important because they have extended dry periods in the low rainfall areas and anything you can do to retain moisture is really important. Uh, I think there's a real fit in the medium rainfall zone um, for removing stubble, especially if you've got barley on barley rotation. Um, other parts of the landscape where you can support a better rotation, we don't need to remove the stubble, but it's just where we have barley on barley, that part of rotation could be um, uh, burnt the stubble. It's going to re- reduce early disease infection Reduce uh, pressure on the fungicides, and ultimately leads to less uh, pressure on fungicide resistance. Of course, the best strategy would be not to have a barley on barley rotation. The growers are aware of that, but where you need to, because of the uh, no alternative rotation that's profitable, then growers should consider removing stubble, providing the paddocks don't blow away, and that can be done quite late in the season, um, you know, right up to close to seeding time.
0: Yeah, very good. Good advice, Garen there. I just have one more question for you. Um, What do you think needs to change to make it easier for growers to manage barley diseases?
3: Certainly on those parts of the landscape, if we had alternative crops to have a better rotation, that would be really useful. And some farmers are putting hay um, in that mix to to allow that um, break in the rotation. Um, Better disease resistance of the barley will help. And also, one of the things we're doing um, a lot of work with growers is It's pointing out the uh, fungicide resistance groups and to make sure growers are rotating through those those fungicides. So not always going to the cheapest product on the shelf because if overuse of the cheaper products is going to accelerate the rate of fungicide resistance. So growers need to be aware of uh, integrated disease management and I think choosing the correct variety with the right resistance, uh, choosing the best rotation possible and where they can. If they can avoid barley on barley, that's always good. But if they have to, then make sure they've got the best resistant variety. And then when using and removing stubble is a uh, non-fungicidal approach. And then when you need to use fungicides to control disease, make sure you're monitoring the disease levels in the crop before you spray because some growers are actually a bit proactive and prophylactically spraying when the disease isn't even there. And when you use a fungicide, make sure you rotate through your groups. So not always grabbing the cheapest product on the shelf using a range of, of fungicides that are now available Um that fits very well into your integrated disease management package.
0: Yeah, that sounds very good to me. Okay, well, thanks so much for coming on the show today, Garen. I hope um, things go well for the, I don't know, harvest coming up and for your clients. And, yeah, hopefully we can talk to you again soon.
3: Sounds wonderful. Thank you, Megan.
0: Okay, thanks, Garen. Okay, bye. So how interesting was that, Amir? Particularly how Garen talks about burning of stubble as a profitable strategy for managing spot form net blotch, particularly for where barley-on-barley rotations make sense. It was interesting, hey?
1: It is, yeah. I also like the way he told us about the subtleties of it and and there's a nuance in burning stubble. There are places he mentioned in the medium rainfall zone where because of land being in low-lying areas, waterlogging and frost causes or it prompts the farmer to to think, okay, well, barley on barley is quite profitable since I can't grow canola or peas or, or lupins in this space. So growers are tempted to do barley and barley. So if the the first year of barley was a very big crop and so you're carrying over a lot of stubble, good season gives you good yields but also it gives you high disease pressure, it means you will carry more disease to the next season if Mm. it's going to be a barley crop. So burning that makes good sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I I think both of the interviews had some pretty important key messages for stubble management, don't you think? What did you think about their key messages, Amir?
1: I think, together, the the message is, is important. Uh, stubble, if it becomes heavy, and if you're doing, say, barley on barley or wheat on wheat, its management is far more important than if you've got uh, broadleaf crops uh, rotating with cereals.
0: Mm, Absolutely. Uh, So, yeah. And what about when Garen talks about integrated disease management, um, which includes resistant varieties, monitoring your crops and rotating fungicides?
1: Absolutely. I think um, the three C's, um, which we call it, which we call in um, CCDM, the three C's are, we start with cultural first and then cultivar and then Chemical. So cultural practices, whether you're doing rot- practicing good rotations um, to break the disease cycle of any crop pulses is very important. Then your tillage is important and your stubble management is part of that cultural practice. And then you've got the cultivar t- at the time of seeding. What cultivar are you going to grow? A resistant one. And then you come back and protect them with chemicals if you have to. And then if you're going to use chemicals, then you rotate the chemicals so that to, you can avoid resistance developing. So all of that makes sense. And, of course, all of that sits on top of the uh, the return on investment to your crop. So you don't want to spend more money than you're going to earn from the crop. If that final chemical is is going to cost you $20 and all it's going to return to you is 10 bucks a hectare, then that's not worth doing. So um, that becomes quite important. One of the things we worked out in our recent work is that one of the best ways to maximise return on investment to chemicals during the growing season is wait till you see the flag leaf of the cereals and then check the weather. And if you're expecting high rainfall and you're expecting high yield and the price is good, then have a go at protecting that flag leaf as soon as you can because that is the canopy asset that is filling the grain and contributing most to profitability so protect your most valuable assets at the right time in the right season in the right region. It doesn't always pay to, to spend lots of money on, on your crop.
0: And what a great way to finish off this podcast. So thanks very much, Amir. It's now time for us to wrap this up. Yeah, thanks for co-hosting with me today and I hope you come back and can do this with me again sometime soon.
1: It would be my pleasure.
0: Oh, fantastic. So if you have a crop disease topic that you'd like us to cover, then let us know. You can follow us and let us know on Twitter at the CCDM. You can also sign up to our blog and get more information just like this at CCDM. Well, that's all for now. You'll hear from us next month for more crop disease discussions. Can't wait for that. Okay, see ya. This podcast is brought to you by the Centre for Crop and Disease Management, a national centre co-supported by Curtin University and the Grains Research and Development Corporation.